Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. What's good, church fam? How are we doing? If I haven't met you yet, my name is Marcus Williamson, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. So um, we'll start in verse 1, and then we'll work our way through, like Ryan just did, through verse 10. Um, and if you are newer around here, we have been working through the book of Matthew, coming up on two years, give or take. Um, so a good little while, and Matthew has covered a ton of of ground so far. We've talked about what the kingdom of God looks like and how it's Jesus's way of talking about uh, the areas in our world where, in his language, God's will is done. Uh, it's where what God wants to happen happens, where, where life looks like what he says life should look like. And we have seen also the types of people that have come through the kingdom of God, the types of people that the kingdom of God is made up of, and people's various responses to that to said kingdom that Jesus tried to share. And then we've watched the disciples kind of grow up before our eyes and start to understand very imperfectly the nature of it, right? But here in chapter 18, the focus kind of shifts. And Jesus starts talking about the relationships in the kingdom of God. How, how the kingdom shapes and informs the ways we relate to one another as followers of Jesus within it. And that's exactly what the next three chapter, chapters will largely be about. Um, so today will be very foundational for us for the next seven weeks. Um, so if you are new today, welcome. You came on a good day. Good job. Good job, you. Uh, glad you're here. Uh, with all that being said, let's go ahead and work through this passage, uh, and we'll go from there. Verse 1 says this, At the time, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, everybody uh, loves a good greatest of all time conversation, right? Everybody loves a good goat conversation, right? It just gets the blood really going. Right? Just gets you really going. It brings a lot of unity to a conversation, right? Just tons and tons of unity. There's no arguments here, right? Um, yeah, it doesn't do that. Um, so, is it Michael Jordan or is it LeBron James? Right? Right? Got some basketball people in here. Is it Tom Brady or is it Peyton Manning? Oh, is it Diana Tarousey, or is it Candace Parker? Okay, I'll, I'll hit you with another one. I know we got I know we got some Tennessee fans in here. I'm gonna hit you. With, I'm gonna hit you with another. One. All right, here we go. Here we go. Is it Pat Summit? <laughs> or is it Pat Summit? Okay, there's just some things that. We all know who the greatest is. We don't even have to debate that, right? So the disciples, they are not immune to any of this. But for some reason, this feels different, right? Like who 
then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It seems like a very odd thing and very odd phrasing for some reason. Because if you're Jesus, you're like looking at the disciples like, I'm right here. <laughs> you're looking at them, right? Surely Jesus is the greatest of all time. So why ask Jesus this question? Well, if you remember, uh, a chapter before, Jesus has just informed his disciples that he is actually going to die. And so the disciples being the disciples, I know we've watched them grow up, but the disciples being the disciples just casually bring up, well, who's going to be in charge when you die? So it's rather morbid. Um, but they ask the question, and, and you know, if he's going to die anyway, then someone has to be in charge, right? That's what they're thinking. Now, I know what you may be thinking, silly disciples. We've been through this over and over and over again. Get it together, guys, please. But I would be remiss if I didn't point out that we do similar things in our modern day age, right? The top of the, top of the food chain is something fierce, right? Everyone is fighting to get there. We want to be the best in our field. We want to be the best in our friend group, the coolest in our friend group, the most liked in our friend group. We want to be the most successful person in our family just so we can show aunt or auntie, you know, auntie or uh, uncle, you know, uh, who's boss or whatever. Like, you name it, we do it. And this also goes to say that for those of us who don't necessarily care for that type of stuff, we're still trying to be the greatest, right? Like, oh, like, that's just so silly, Marcus. I would never want to be the greatest. Well, in many ways, you're trying to see yourself above those people, right? <laughs> above, greatest, however you want to say it. So in other words, we are very much like the disciples, probably more than we would like to claim to be. So Jesus gives his disciples in verse 2, in many ways, us an answer. He says this, verse 2, he says, He called a little child to him and placed the child among him. Uh, among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. All right, so let's kind of talk a little bit about this because Jesus, uh, because chances are G what Jesus says here hits way different than how it would have hit for the disciples back in their day. See, in our society, we think of kids as cute, cuddly, and innocent, right? That is, you know, I see some of your faces are lighting up when you think about kids and all of that stuff. So, so if Jesus were to bring over a little kid in our midst and said, hey, I want you to become like this kid, we'd be like, oh, Jesus, oh, you want me to be innocent? You want me to be kind? You want me to view the world with this incredible childlike wonder? You want me to be dependent like a child is dependent on his parents? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for that. That's so good. And some of that is indeed taught in the scriptures, but that's not what Jesus means here. Uh, the key to, to what Jesus is saying here is, is actually in verse 4, and it says, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So in Jesus' day, children were not seen as primarily cute or cuddly or innocent or anything like that, as hard as it is to imagine. If only Jesus would have seen, you know, kids unboxing things on YouTube. Um, 
In this culture, though, kids were seen honestly as insignificant. They were seen as non-contributors to the household. In many ways, they were seen as liabilities. I was expecting a groan or something, but God didn't do that, but that's good. Okay. Um, attachment to children happened far later in life due to the high impact uh, mortality rate back in the day. And so basically, the, the social hierarchy in Jesus' day actually looked like this. It looked like this. There it is. All right. This is more or less kind of how it worked, right? The, the further towards the top of the list you were, the more important you were. Makes sense, right? Um, and just like in every society, people idolized and revered the people above them on the important scale. So everybody wanted to be like the people at the top, right? Everybody wanted to be like the kings and the rulers, ultimately. Now, that doesn't really hit today, right? That doesn't, that doesn't sound like anything that we do today at all, right? Yeah, joking. Uh, that is the air they breathe, and that is so much the air that we breathe today. We see it play out all of the time. Everyone orients themselves around the most important people or we at least try to on Twitter and TikTok and everything else, right? Um, But here's where stuff gets a little strange. Jesus just took a little kid who was at the bottom of the social ladder with the slaves and said that this is the type of person that is great in the kingdom of heaven. And then he doubles down. He doesn't just say that they are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He says, unless you take this position, unless you take this posture in your life, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Did you catch that? You will never enter. You won't even sniff at it. To say it another way, unless you see yourself as the least significant, the the least powerful, until you see yourself as existing to orient yourself around others, you'll never actually understand what the kingdom of Jesus is all about. You'll never actually experience life in the kingdom. Here's the way Jesus puts it elsewhere in Mark 10. Mark 10 says, whoever wants to be great among you must be your what, church fam? Servant, not a trick question, not a trick question. Servant. And whoever wants to be first must be what? Of all. Slave of all. Remember where slaves were on this chart, right? It's at the bottom. All the way at the bottom with the children. So so here, Jesus is getting at this exact same idea. Greatness in the kingdom of God is precisely the opposite of greatness in the world at large. Jesus knows that, that there's this desire in us to be great. There's this desire in us to be first in life. But Jesus also knows that, that this path to be the greatest or to be first from a worldly perspective orients others around us. I'm important. I'm significant, right? I'm a big deal. I run the show. So make sure you you orient yourself around me and what's best for me. We see it in corporate America, politics, even in churches. 
But Jesus says greatness in the kingdom of heaven is actually orienting yourself around others. You matter. You belong. You're important. To put it another way, in the kingdom of Jesus, the more you demand that others orient themselves around you, the more immature you are. But the more you orient yourself around other people, specifically around those that that the world treats as insignificant and unimportant, the more mature you are. Hence verse 5, and whoever welcomes once a child in my name welcomes me. So if you want to be great in the kingdom, first learn to take the posture of an insignificant child at the bottom of the social ladder, and second, welcome and place priority on those at the bottom of the said social uh, ladder. And you'll notice that in theory, the more you do the first thing, the more natural the second thing comes about. The more you see yourself as insignificant, the more instinctive it is to become or, or to welcome those who are insignificant. See, in the kingdom of God, the social ladder kind of gets flipped on its head. We identify with and orient ourselves around the least significant, not the most significant. Now, Jesus is about to give an at-length teaching on a specific way that we should orient ourselves around the least significant. So let's check out verse 6. It says this, If anyone, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. All right, so that got really intense really quickly, right? It's okay, you can breathe. You can breathe. Uh, But first, before I go into that, let me first explain kind of that first half. So to stumble in Jesus' day was a word picture for falling into sin or away from belief in God. And so Jesus says that if anyone in the community of faith causes one of these little ones uh, to do that, so if anyone makes it harder for one of the weakest or smallest, least significant members of the community, it would be better for them, in Jesus' mind, to have a large millstone hung around their neck to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Okay, so, the intense part. Jesus is just using hyperbole. That's the easiest way to answer that. He is not advocating for anyone to be drowned um, as punishment or anything like that. Just like in the next couple of verses, he is not advocating for people to literally amputate their limbs. That would be very scary. Um, But what he is saying is to get your attention, right? It got your attention. When you read it, you were like, and it's like Jesus was like, yeah, that's exactly that's the reaction I wanted, um, because he, he's really serious about this. He wants to take sin, he wants us to take our sin and the sin that we cause others uh, to have, to stumble or whatever, to take that seriously. He wants us as the community of faith, those who believe in him, to so orient ourselves around the weaker brother or sister that, that we would never in a million years make it harder for them to follow after Jesus. And so Jesus evidently believed that that we have a responsibility to not make it harder for each other to love and to follow after him. Such that he says that if our actions cause another follower of Jesus to stumble, well, it would have just been better if we would bite the dust. So in what ways do we often this? Um, What ways do we sometimes make it harder for other followers of Jesus? Well, 
I don't know about you guys, but this makes me think about times where the church has let self-righteousness and meanness kind of go rampant and uh, 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 called out, basically, and become commonplace in the midst of the church. Makes me think of times that we try to uh, uh, squash down diversity and try to conform every follower of Jesus to this one particular mode of how we should be. Times that churches have allowed abuse and and misuse of power to go unchecked. Times where we make it seem like people have to jump through all these social and political hoops and ladders and all this other stuff to be a Christian, right? We all see it. I know you guys see it all the time through the news, through Twitter, through TikTok, through all of this stuff. Times where we sin against other Christians in significant ways and never own up to it. Never own up to it or apologize. Sure, we're going to sin against one another, but we, we, we double down, right? We don't ever try to apologize for our sins. We never try to uh, own up to our sins. And so the list can go on. Uh, there's virtually no limit to the ways that we, as followers of Jesus, will sin against one another and therefore make it harder for each other to follow after him. And participating in those things or just refusing to put a stop to them when we see them can have a real lasting impact on other people's faith. It can cause them to stumble to doubt that God and God's design for humanity is worthwhile or worth following. And Jesus takes that very seriously. He says, if your actions have that effect on other followers of Jesus, especially those who are new to faith, especially those who are young in faith, it would have been better for you to just not be around them at all. In other words, this is a big deal for Jesus. So let's keep moving. Uh, Verse 7, woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. So it's almost like Jesus is saying here, uh, or he's like uh, uh, saying all of this about not causing other people to stumble. Uh, to stumble. He kind of expects like a clap back from people, um, saying like, come on, Jesus. Come on, isn't that just a little intense, what you're saying right now? There are so many temptations in this world. It's everywhere. Temptation to doubt is everywhere in our world. Twitter, Facebook, everything alone gives people so many reasons to doubt that there is a loving God who is worth following. Are you really saying that in a world like that, we need to walk around on eggshells, worried about whether or not we're going to be doing things that are making it harder for other people to believe? And Jesus is like, sure. Woe to the world for things that cause people to stumble. Those things are really out there, guys. But woe to the person through whom it comes. Translation, just because brokenness is everywhere doesn't mean we should contribute to it. Let me say that one more time. Just because brokenness is everywhere doesn't mean we should contribute to it. Remember, as, as followers of Jesus, we, we're actually call, called to partner with Jesus in the reconciliation of all things. We're invited to, to partner with God to bring aspects of heaven down to earth. To show the world what life is like when Jesus is king. As followers of Jesus, we, we're actually called to push back on the brokenness of this world and not to add to it. 
So brokenness may indeed be everywhere. Hear me say, it may be everywhere you turn. But that means all the more reason not to participate in it. Which leads to Jesus' next idea. Verse 8. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. So Jesus makes this kind of like a small shift here. And instead of talking about things you, you do to cause other people to stumble, now he, he starts talking about things that you do to make you stumble. And this is actually language that, that Jesus has used all throughout the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, back in chapter 5, Jesus actually says something almost identical when it comes to fighting sexual sin. And here, he seems to just apply this to any type of sin. So if there are things in your life that are causing you to doubt who Jesus is, uh, to, to want to know and to want to follow him, then those things need to be dealt with. And in many ways, like we need to probably deal with it severely, right? So like, for example, if, if we are watching certain shows on Netflix or whatever, and those things cause us to have certain desires that we probably shouldn't be having, we should probably stop watching Netflix. We should probably stop watching those shows. Or at least cancel your Netflix. If having a certain app on your phone makes you participate in behaviors that, that followers of Jesus should not participate in, you should probably delete that app. If going to a certain store makes you want to buy things that you don't need to buy because you don't have the money for it, you need to stop going to that store. And yes, I'm talking about Target, guys. <laughs> amen. I knew it. I knew I got some amens. I knew I got some amens in this room. Um, I added that. That wasn't even in there. You're welcome. All right. <laughs> Just like we should take it seriously when our action causes other people to stumble, we should take it equally as seriously when it causes us to stumble. Amen. Both are very important. So I want you to see that Jesus' perspective on all of this is so wonderfully nuanced. See, on the one hand, he understands that sometimes people can lead other people to struggle, to doubt, to stumble, and to sin. We are relational people. And sometimes in our relationships, we impact others really negatively. It happens. It happens. But at the same time, the fact that we are relational people doesn't remove the responsibility that we have for our own sin. In other words, whenever we sin, we can't respond by going, well, if, if it wasn't for that other person. Oh, come on, somebody. I know what I'm talking about. If it wasn't for that other person, I wouldn't have sinned. If it wasn't for that, that person who was hurting me, I wouldn't be struggling to believe. Hear me say, I also understand it too. Let me pause. Let me pause. This isn't on here. I also understand that. I do understand church hurt is a real thing. And 
when people, other followers of Jesus who hurt you. I totally get that. And I'm going to talk about that down on, but I felt like I needed to say that right now. Hear me say that. I totally get that. And, and also hear me say, at the same time, while that may be true, while that may be a real thing, God will also ultimately hold us accountable for our actions, for the decisions that we make to follow him or to not follow him. He'll hold the other person accountable too. Don't worry, he, he, he's got them too. But not instead of us, in addition to us. Here's why I think that's really important for us to realize. Like I said before, it's become really popular uh, in recent years to say some version of, like, I left the church because of the church. I left the church because of Christians. Christians hurt me, sinned against me, excluded me, rejected me, didn't love me the way I wanted it to be love. So I had no choice but to leave. Again, I, I totally get that. Um, and based on Jesus' passage in the scriptures, I think he gets it too, right? We would say that he gets it. He's sitting here saying that, that he takes hurt caused by Christians very seriously. In fact, he uses some of the strongest language possible during this time. Yeah, he uses some of the strongest language possible to condemn people just like that, that caused that type of hurt. Again, he is, he is not saying, yeah, he, he's coming after them. Let's say it that way. He takes it so seriously, and he will not let it go unaddressed. He will not let it go unaddressed. And listen, no one who has been no one has been hurt more by the church than Jesus. No one has been let more down uh, uh, or down more by the church than Jesus. No one has been opposed and mistreated and excluded more unjustly than Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus, you know, helped start the thing. Y'all know that, right? Which means, hear me, hear me out. All of that, all of what I said, can be all the more reason to walk towards Jesus than it is to walk away from him. Because it means he is the only one who has walked through this same path as you. He's walked the walk, right? He's the only one who has been through similar things as you and has come out on the other side gracious and compassionate. And all of that means that, that Jesus can and will meet you exactly where you're at exactly where you're at and help you to walk through every bit of that hurt that you have experienced. Here's what um, we found to be true in pastoral ministry. Um, decisions made out of hurt and bitterness never end up being the best decisions. They may be the easiest Honestly, they may be the most emotionally satisfying, right? They may, not, they may feel like the only decision that we have at the time. 
but rarely are they actually the best decision. Let's finish out our passage. Verse 10. <clears throat> Verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Now, very quickly, let me go ahead and address, you know, the elephant in the room. There's this interesting language around angels in heaven. And so uh, this passage right here and a couple of others like it throughout the Bible are where some people kind of get this idea of guardian angels, right? Um, there's this idea that all of us have like personal representatives who are in heaven who kind of watch over us and protect us and keep us from harm and all of that stuff. Um, and scholars actually disagree on this. They actually disagree whether Jesus is talking figuratively or literally about angels in this type of way. But regardless, regardless of any of that, the point that Jesus is making is actually very straightforward. He is saying, don't mistreat one of his kids. Don't mistreat one of his kids because his kids always have the father's attention. Always. And God always takes sins against his kids seriously. So, what does this actually mean for us, right? There's a lot that has been said. What does this actually mean for us in practice? What does it mean to take our sins seriously, to, to not cause other followers of Jesus to stumble? Well, I know we've talked a little bit about it, but I want us to write down two questions, just two, um, for you today, to kind of drill it down into our lives. So first, where are you making it harder for others to follow Jesus? Where are you making it harder for others to follow Jesus? Where are you placing expectations and requirements on other followers of Jesus that the Bible doesn't? Expecting that they, they vote a certain way, like you do. To participate in certain behaviors like you do. Or to avoid certain behaviors. I've known people who insist that all followers of Jesus should never consume alcohol, even in moderation. I've known others that uh, believe that followers of Jesus shouldn't even go to places where alcohol is served. Others view that any and all television is evil and sinful. Every single form. Even those of you who are on TikTok, that's, it's all sinful. And those things can be, hear me say this, hear me say this, those things can be personal convictions, right? Those can be personal things that, that you may deem not wise for yourself and that you need to stay steer kind of clear of uh, because you don't want to fall into sin. But hopefully you can see how creating this type of environment for other followers of Jesus, especially if it's not explicitly in the Bible or anything like that, how that can be actually very harmful and how it can actually cause other followers of Jesus to not want to follow anymore or for people who don't know Jesus to not follow. When you start putting rules in the Bible that are not actually in the Bible, that's not a good look. It's not a good look. Or maybe you're the type of person that likes to nitpick. Maybe go over, you know, other Christians' lives with a kind of a fine-tooth comb, right? And make sure they're aware of every little area that they need to, like, fix, right? All their failings and all of that stuff. So, again, like, we can kind of see 
how this can be harmful and how it can make it harder for people to follow after Jesus. Jesus says in this passage that, that when we take these types of postures, we're not actually helping people. We're hurting them. So consider if, if there are any ways that you are doing that in your own life. Run that fine-tooth comb between <laughs> your life, right? Instead of always looking out, run it through you to see, to ask the Spirit to help you to repent of these things. Second question. Where are you making it harder for you to follow Jesus? Where are you making it harder for you to follow Jesus? What are those little things that you continually say you need to work on, that you, that you tell a life group about, that you tell your friends about, that you tell your spouse about? Yeah, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to do the thing one day. Yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't act like you don't. I know, we all know what we're talking about. We all know it. The Spirit is like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, preach, Marcus, preach. What is the one thing that you need to sacrifice because it has become a stumbling block between you and your intimacy with God? I'll give you the gift of going second. So for me, the Lord spoke uh, through one of our church family uh, and said that I needed to spend more time with him. And at the time, I didn't really know what that meant. Um, I was a little confused. I was like, what? Spend more time? I spend enough time. Um, but the Lord was patient, right? The Lord has been patient with me. And hear me say, this is an ongoing thing. This is actually happening right now as we speak. Um, this is an ongoing thing. And the Lord has been patient and started revealing to me uh, how much time I had actually been spending with him versus spending with my Nintendo Switch and The Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild, and also with TV and other things. Um, and hear me say, this is a personal conviction, right? Remember what I said at the top. This is a personal conviction, something that the Lord has pressed upon me and really is still pressing upon me because, again, I don't like to listen sometimes. Okay, all of the time, whatever. Um, so don't don't get it twisted, right? I'm not holding everybody to my own personal convictions. Um, but still, to that point, this makes it harder for me to actually follow after Jesus. So I have to put boundaries. I have to put limits on myself to be able to follow after Jesus well. So what is that thing for you? What is that thing for you? Because I'm sure we all know this. But we serve a living, breathing God. We serve a God who, if you look throughout the Bible, is a jealous God. He is jealous of our attention. He is jealous of our gaze towards everything else but him. Oh, Jesus, I'll just give you like two minutes, but then I'm going to just go ahead and binge watch this thing over here real quick. He's jealous of our attention. So what is that thing that is keeping you from hanging out with Jesus? What is that thing? What is keeping you from spending time in the word? Maybe it's relationships. Maybe you are in an unhealthy relationship. You would say it's healthy. But maybe the Lord actually wouldn't deem it healthy. Maybe your life group has tried to speak life into you in this scenario. But you're like, man, it's just so good, right? 
It's just too good. I feel like I can turn them around. I feel like I can bring them to church. For you, maybe the most healthy thing that you could ever do is to actually let God work in their life and not you try to be God in their life. Maybe for some of us, it's how we deal with our finances. God gives and we certainly take, right? Without ever thinking that maybe, just maybe, God actually wants us to be generous with our money. Generous with the money that he's given us. We're so blinded by increasing our status. We want to be great. We want to be first. Increase our status through what we buy. And don't worry, I'm coming after the savers too. All you people who love to save but not give. It's the same thing. For some of us, our first step of repentance is asking the Lord to forgive us and then to give financially to a local organization or nonprofit that aligns with bringing the kingdom of God down to earth. Whatever the Spirit is tugging on you about, whether I mentioned it or not, I want you to take it seriously. For some of us, we actually do feel that tug. We're trying to dismiss it right now. But we feel that tug, that little thing inside of us. That's the Spirit. For others of us, we don't feel that tug. And hear me say, like, Pray for your brothers and sisters who are feeling that right now. Maybe the Spirit is trying to work through this sermon. Pray for them because they're at war within themselves. They're trying to figure out whether they're hearing the Spirit or hearing themselves. Or hearing me, I don't know. And then, after you pray that, pray for the Spirit to help reveal things to you. I want us to take this seriously. As we close, Ben, you guys can come on up. I want to kind of encourage us from the book of Jude real quick. It's a, a very small book. Um, it's one chapter to be exact. It's a really good book, um, but it can be easily overlooked. Uh, if you ever get a chance, read Jude. It's right before Revelation. You won't miss it. Um, but there's a ton of good stuff, and that ending, church fam, that ending is fire. That ending is straight fire. And it's that ending that we're actually going to look at right now. So let's check out verses 24 and 25. It says this, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Let me start over. I'm going to read that one more time for you. I need this to, to wash over you. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. I mean, we could just end right there, right? And to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. 
but only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Before all ages, now and forevermore, amen. I mean, that's a sermon in itself. I'm not going to do that to you, but that's a sermon, right? As we ask ourselves these questions this week and pour over it with our life groups and people who love us, I want to encourage you that ultimately, ultimately, God is able to help you to keep you from stumbling, to keep you from sinning. Yes, you you have your part to play. Yes, you need to own up to your sin. Yes, you need to acknowledge your sin. Yes, you need to confess your sin. Yes, you need to repent of your sin. And also, God. And also God. There's an old song um, called He's Able by Kirk Franklin. It's a good song. I'm not sure if he meant this to be the tag for this sermon, but I'm using it for this sermon. And don't worry, I'm not going to sing it to you. I'll leave that for the musicians in the back. They're a whole lot better than me. But I want to hit you with the lyrics because I think They are on point, and I think they fit this scripture. And I promise you, you need to listen to it while you meditate on this scripture because it's so good. Here's what it says. It says, he's able, he's able, he's able. I know that he can do it. He said he would help me through it. Hold on, my brother. Your change is going to come. Be strong, my sister, for your work is not done. No, just, just keep on believing and hold on tight. Because he's able to give you joy in the morning light. Lord, I just want to speak that again over our church family. Lord, you can help us to not stumble, to not sin, to not fall away from who you are, from what you are trying to do in our lives. Lord, some of us are are wrestling with these questions right now. Your spirit is working and, and trying to penetrate through all these different layers in our minds. Lord, I pray that your spirit works. Pray that your spirit gets deep down into our hearts and helps show us where we are causing other people to stumble, where we are causing ourselves to stumble. Lord, none of us are immune to this. We are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work right now. Lord, even if it's just one person in this room, I pray that you will work in their life right now. 
even if the rest of us don't listen, if that one person does, Lord. Yeah, Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for hard passages like these, sometimes confusing passages like these. <laughs> yeah. And thank you for church family. Thank you for the people that you have put around us to walk with us through life, Lord. We, it's so tough to do this alone. And so I'm so thankful that you have put people in our life to help navigate all of this. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And then we're praying. Amen.